content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome to If You Don't Mind. I am your host, as per usual, Madeline Cherrington. Uh, you know what? I'm a little bit frustrated because I just recorded these um, intros and outros that I use for the podcast and then I accidentally deleted them. So I had a bit of a cry and <laughs> got over it and now I'm doing this again. So feels like I'm just repeating myself, but you know what? We all make mistakes. It's fine. Uh, Guys, this is episode 11, which means after this one, we just have one more episode until the end of season one. And can I just say, I know I've said this a million times, but thank you so much for all the support that you've all showed me the past few months. It's been completely overwhelming. And and although there's still a lot more progress in terms of having this podcast reach the amount of people and the types of people that I want it to, I know that I've got off to a really good start and I appreciate everybody's help in that kind of process. So thank you. For this episode, I got to interview my amazing friend Drew, who I've known for quite a few years uh, now. And we actually became friends through (laughs) sort of like a shared experience of pretty intense anxiety and panic disorder. And it was quite interesting. Around the time that I got sick, our parents were quite good friends. And I remember hearing about all the things that Drew was going through without actually having met her. And I felt very connected to her. It was quite strange. <laughs> um, and we talk a little bit about that in the beginning of the episode. But but for the most part, we talk about Drew's experiences with panic disorder, agoraphobia, and how in the last year or so, she's actually been doing a lot um, of exposure therapy and what that's been like for her and how that's impacted on her life. So overall, it's a really, really good episode. I think you're going to enjoy how passionate and how articulate and how just generally fantastic Drew is. Um, there is a trigger warning, of course, as usual. So we do discuss um, uh, depression, anxiety, and there are, and we also discuss suicide. So if that's something that you're kind of not really in the mindset for, that's totally fine. Come back when you're feeling a little bit more ready for it. So here we go, episode 11 with the lovely Drew. I hope you all enjoy it. I think that's fine. Yeah, it sounds fine to me. Yes, I can I can hear. How sexy do you oh, no, sound? Oh my god. Let me get comfy. Yeah. Do you need to have a glass of water? Um, have a drink of water? Oh yeah, I have. Okay. Me, 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 me. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. <laughs> um, okay, welcome Drew. Hello, thank you. <laughs> um, do you know what's quite funny? Before I met you, mm-hmm. I knew a lot about you. Yeah, I get that a lot. Not because of what you think, though, because my I remember it was the year that I was, like, full sick, not leaving my house, mm. and my pe- my dad's friends with your mum, mm. and he came home, he's like, oh, yeah, my friend's daughter, she's going through exactly the same thing, yeah. and I was like, oh, tell me more, because I was, like, so sad, because no one else, like, ex- so experienced, exactly, yeah. no one else was experiencing it, and I was like, tell me more, tell me her story, and so I got, like, little bits of, like, drips and drabs from him, and I just felt like, even though I didn't know you, I felt so connected to you, because I was just like, she fucking gets it. Same. And then the day we met at the palace, it could you just two of us sitting for yes. like two hours yes. going on about our anxiety, like in the corner. People were like, oh, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, <laughs> just bonding over our agoraphobia. Oh, my God. Horrible times. But yeah, I know. And I, when I met you, I was just like so excited because it's so true. Like no one else had no. experienced it. And even like when you're in it and you're like Googling away as we do. And yeah. It's just so even then it's like people who have experienced it online who are like writing about it's still not it's like yeah I know it exists mm. there's a name for it I know but like what am I doing to get better how can I how know. do you people get better I and know. that is the 
that was the really hard bit because it was like very disappointing um not having those resources um clear enough and like at the time my GP didn't do home visits Centrelink social workers don't do home visits so I was like had no Centrelink at the time couldn't access like a psychologist all this stuff and it was just like nobody gets it but then it's like I talk to people and they're like you know I feel like that a bit and I'm like there's so many more people that feel that way and yeah but when I met you it was like (laughs) the full like we went a bit hard with our um, nervous breakdowns, mm, you and I. We, we did. We did have a, a good time with that. We did it know? pretty spectacularly. Um, yeah, yeah. We really committed. And so <laughs> it was a bit different than the generalized anxiety because I don't have generalized anxiety. I don't have social anxiety. I'm a very confident person in my thoughts and opinions. Mm. Yeah, so it was really hard because all the advice for anxiety or panic disorders were – which which is great for people with social anxiety, like mm. – um, but it was very different to what I was experiencing. So then when we met, that was like, oh. And then when you went overseas, I was like, Maddie is killing it. <laughs> like, this is some inspirational shit that I oh. need to, like, follow in your footsteps. So. Dude, I still, to be fair, I did, like, freak out at least five times on the plane. Of course. Convinced, I convinced myself I had a blood clot in my lung. Yeah. I thought, I was, I thought the plane was going to crash multiple times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to, like... Yeah, to do it was just like, I still can't, yeah. I still can't believe I did it. It's like I what was agoraphobic for over a year from like, you know, 2012 to 2013. I can't even remember. It all goes into a blur, you know, mm. when you're trying to like think back on like, when did this start? When did that oh, start? 100%. So it was like around that time, but it was only this year that I went and finally started well, started and finished my exposure therapy. Hmm. So at the start of this year, I wasn't getting buses. I wasn't able to, you know, stay out. Like if I went anywhere, you know, my mom would be driving me or Ollie would be driving me. And then last year, mom had her liver transplant and I became her carer and that really like flipped the roles. Hmm. And to be honest, I was like, you know what? I'm so fucking over this. I'm over this. And it got to that point. And I don't think until you get to the point where you're like, I'll do anything to make this better. Mm. For exposure therapy is you're trying to make yourself have a panic attack pretty much. And you're trying to just sit there instead of, you know, running home as I do or whatever that will make it more Mm. um, the panic worse and scared to go out again kind of thing. Mm. And that that's like what, like seven years from when I had my agoraphobia to now. So it's a really long process and it's like never ending. Like mm. I'm always going to have those experiences and they're always going to be ingrained in me and stuff that I need to like work against because it's easy to just go, oh, no, I'm just going to stay home. Or actually, you know, I'm not feeling that well. I'm just going to, you know, yeah. not not go out, not socialise kind of thing. And that's how you get stuck back into that rhythm of, no, this is my safe space. This yes. is, you know, this is the only place I can feel comfortable. And so this is the only place I can go back to and I need to go there right now or nothing's okay. Yeah. And I hate the whole thing of like when you tell people, when people tell you, you just got to push yourself a little bit. Yeah. Fucking ha- I, I hate it because I'm like, okay, you fucking I'm pushing myself being here right now, listening <sighs> to your shit. All right. That's so hard. But then in a way, kind of what they're saying is true because you exactly. literally, when you're ready on your own terms, you got to be like, okay, I'm just going to go out for a walk today yeah. and not take my phone yeah. and I know that my mum is like 10 minutes away at our house. Yeah. Yeah. Not that much can happen. Exactly. I think it's going to be fine. Exactly. And then even when I was agoraphobic and I finally hit that point where I was like, so it was about like 13, 14 months, I had literally not stepped out my door. Wow. And I was like, you know, I've watched all the TV shows. I've read all the books. I'm so over this. And I was just like, if I go outside and die, I'd rather that happen than sit here again. And I remember I just like made that decision and was fine. was finally okay with it. But, you know, people have been saying the same thing to me all that year. And I was like, okay, but I'm not ready. I knew I wasn't ready. And that if that happened again, I like literally I had tried during the year, like I would take a step outside my front door and I would literally throw up. And then I made that decision and I called up a psych ward and I said, I want to become an inpatient. How do I do that? I hadn't left my house for 14 months. And the next day I said, mum, drive me to St. Vincent's Hospital. So I just walked out the door, was like holding on to her. What did your mum say? Was she like, uh, okay. Um, my family is very used to me deciding when and where things are going to happen. I 
have a very supportive family, friends, boyfriend, but that support I often, with my agoraphobia, I would rely on. So it would be mum can drop me there, Ollie can pick me up, um, and that's the only way I could do things. And then, you know, my therapist kind of got to the point where she was like, you need to tell your support and safety network to stop offering to do things for you, to stop doing that, oh, Drew, it's okay, so you won't freak out, I'll drive and then I won't drink and then you'll drive back. And that was hard for them as well because they see that as not being a good support network. Yeah, but actually, cool in a yeah, way. yeah, but actually it, I've been so much better and I'm also quite happy with asking for what I need. Mm. So if I really, really was like, no, I can't do that this week, you know, that's my decision that I've made, not theirs. And yeah. it really changed the dynamic and helped a lot mm. um, this year. Like, I'm still not great, but, you know, I couldn't go for the past eight, nine years. I didn't go from, like, more than, like, 40 minutes from my house. Mm. And then this year, you know, went, like, two hours away to... Yeah, you yeah. went so far away. Yeah. So now I'm, like, you know, thinking about that and, like, pushing it further and, like, traveling there on a train. I got a train for the first time in... 10 years this year and like now I can just go get trains and to anyone else that's not a big deal and even to me like retrospectively it's not a huge deal like I've been through way worse stuff and harder things but like unless I give myself those props for doing those small things and getting through it then I wouldn't keep going like people think that yeah it's because things are, yeah because yeah. things are easy for other people um, that it's it's not an accomplishment or it's not something to be proud of. But, like, I'll walk around and tell randoms. I'll be like, yeah, so I, you know, I got the bus today. And they're like, okay. And I was like, I haven't done that in 10 years. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Like, you know, and he's like, yeah, everything's in relevant, it's relevant to, you. to you. Yeah, And it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, my greatest accomplishment this year has been able to get public transport by myself. I'm going to graduate from a master's this year. But I'm like, but I got public transport, like, can we talk about that? Well, yeah, because, I mean, you can do your master's from, like, the comfort of your own home if you well, wanted to. Yeah, but, I like, don't. <laughs> yes. But, like, getting a bus, like, that's a completely different thing yeah, for you. Yeah, even going to the climate strike, I got the bus there on oh, Friday. Wow. How was that for you? There's uh, so many people there. There was a lot of people I had prepared myself, but yeah. I threw up on the bus there. Okay. And because with my exposure therapy, I'm not allowed to carry vomit bags with me mm. anymore because... When I didn't have them, I would panic more and mm-hmm. be like, I'm going to panic. I don't have my vomit bags. I don't have my water. I don't have my anti-anxiety meds. I don't have this and that, mm. which actually were, I thought they were safety measures, but they were actually restrictive measures for myself. Mm. So I didn't have any vomit bags on me. Um, Ollie had a snack pack bag. So I threw That's up fine. in that. And then, you know, my friends like, do you want to get off the bus? Are we good? I was like, I'm good now. Like, let's keep going. Um, so I kind of had my panic attack that day. So once we hit the crowds, we just stayed to the outside and yes. I was... I was okay. But, yeah, there was a lot of people. There were so many people. I remember because it was, like, in the domain and it was, like, really, like, it's obviously, like, the season where mm. um, all the hay fever has started. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I can't breathe. Because if I feel like my chest is in somehow, like. It's the like, start. It's, yeah, I'm like. It's the indicator. Exactly. Like, I'm like, if I can't, if I feel like I can't get a good yep. breath, ugh, I did not like yeah, it. No. I was not enjoying it. Part of me realizes, like, that's just how I function. Yeah. That's, that's how I make myself feel safe. Yeah, and I think. Becoming aware of your body's responses and needs and especially boundaries is Mm. really important. And a lot of people aren't afforded that opportunity when they have a mental breakdown like we were. Yes. (laughs) To like actually go, oh, yeah, my hands are sweaty. And why is that? And why do I feel that way? And what does that make me feel? Like most people aren't sitting there thinking those things. No. But I know that it's made me much more responsive to my body. Um, at first that wasn't a good thing, but now I think it's given me some benefits from Mm. that, especially combined with my chronic illnesses. You know, um, I think that people see mental health and physical health as binaries, but they're all part of a spectrum that keeps you healthy. You know, I was agoraphobic because I would have panic attacks, but those panic attacks were experienced through literally like fainting, throwing up. All of my responses were physical, Mm. except for the one in my head that goes, I need to go home, I need to go home, I need to go home. And every other aspect was physical, and that really messed me up because I had to distinguish between my chronic illness flare-ups and my mental illness. Yes, that would be so difficult. Yeah, and even to this day, I, I... 
It's difficult. Like, it's so hard. Well, I mean, it's like people with asthma. They're like, how yes. do I know if I'm having an asthma attack or an, like, yes. like a panic attack? Yeah. And they feed each other. Yeah, exactly. And Ugh. so now I've just kind of got to the point where I'm like, I don't think I'll ever not have anxiety or not have, but it's about like holistic mm. um, treatment because, you know, I, I've been on antidepressants for I think I started them year 11. Mm-hmm. So that's like... That's a long... That's like yeah, nearly so, 10 years. Yeah. So people... And in year 11, I did stop them so that um, so that pills worked on me because they didn't work when you... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you take antidepressants, sometimes certain pills don't work. And yes. I was, you know, wanted to have fun and oh my God, live my yeah. life and be like... Well, a, you're young. You don't want to yeah. feel restricted. So I stopped my antidepressants um, and then, you know, had a little like year of fun you know, severe depression and fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I got back on them and I've been on them, yeah, about nine years now consistently, but with agoraphobia, they would put them up or they would swap them or whatever. And a lot of people go on antidepressants for a three-month to six-month period and that's that's great. That's what they're designed for. Lucky you. You mm. know, that's what they're designed mm. for and that's great if you can do that. Um, I can't. If I don't take my antidepressant, I thought recently, I was like, you know, I'm feeling it. Like, I'm doing so well. Did my exposure therapy. Like, maybe I should start, like, coming off them. No, not yet. I don't have a problem with that. And I understand if people don't want to take medication for certain reasons, but I think that there's this stigma attached to being like, oh, I'm a medicated crazy. Like, that's yes. like th- that's it. You're mm. long-term medicated. And is, yeah. really, to be honest, I don't care. Like... I would rather be able to function and not sit in my room and cry for four hours straight, like mm. in the dark, mm-hmm. compared to taking 100 milligrams of Zoloft. Like the pill, I was prescribed that for my um, mental health. I wasn't prescribed that for... Really? Um, yeah. So I started the pill before I even started having sex. So it was like, mm-hmm. um, you know, ready. But, felt cool. <laughs> yeah. But um, so that was because they thought I had premenstrual dysphoria disorder, mm. which is really serious and affects a lot of women. But to be honest, I think that mine was a mixture of my um, my chronic illnesses and my severe depression. Yeah. Um, but the pill did help a lot as well. So the combination of that and my antidepressants are great, but without doing therapy and, you know, actually discussing in depth with people like you who mm. understand and, you know, can relate, it's... It's not the be all and end all, but it frustrates me when people are like, do you know what? Nature's sunshine (laughs) and the air will heal your (laughs) misfiring chemicals in your brain. And it's like, you know what? I do feel better when I go to the beach and have a nice swim. But if I can't get out of my bed and I physically want to kill myself when I wake up, do you think I'm going for a fucking walk? Mm -hmm. Like, and again, chronic illness, you know how tired that makes me? Oh. I am weak as shit and people really don't understand. So, like, those things really piss me off when people, especially to people who are just starting to open up about their mental illness, yeah. a lot of people mistakenly will try and do the right thing and say, oh, you just need to get out more, you just need to socialise more, don't isolate yourself. And it's like those are all really true, but they're just components. Yeah, and that person already knows all those yes. things to be true. You're yes. not really telling them anything new. It's like on the are you okay in like mental health um, signs that they have everywhere. Literally one of the things to do is close your eyes. Go outside. Like, yeah. close your eyes. Are you kidding? And I think for maybe, I, I think there's obviously a lot of different variants in terms yes, of depression of and anxiety. Course. There's very, um, like, kind of mild and, and you know, yeah. the more intense end of the spectrum. And I, maybe that's beneficial to those people, yeah. but not to the greater. I think that's general general life knowledge. Yeah, like, have a, a breath. <laughs> like, yeah. take a breath. Take a step back from what you're doing is all great advice, but... For it to be our number one, you know, policy, <laughs> biggest yeah. funded kind of thing I know. is really disappointing. And also I think there's a focus on even even though there's not a focus on people like, you know, with having severe panic like we did, agoraphobia mm. or whatever, there is a focus on depression and anxiety in the mental health sphere. Yeah. So many people I know suffer psychosis, you know, um, drug and alcohol addiction because of their mental illnesses schizophrenia those mental health issues are really really not discussed no, and because they're not too un- hard yeah they're too hard and yeah. not understood enough and like 
So you can imagine, like, we've struggled as well-educated young women to find the resources that we need for just Mm. depression and severe anxiety, yes, but anxiety nonetheless. Mm. Like, imagine accessing resources and support and beating the stigma associated with that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's a bit disappointing, but I also think that it goes to show the whole thing about mental illness and physical illness are not binaries. No. It's all part of the same thing, and to even talk about them like they can be fixed or, you know, treated mm. um, individually is so silly. <laughs> it's Yeah, I know. And that's the thing also, when you – I even feel really guilty as someone with an anxiety disorder because I feel like all the money is being funded yeah. to treat something that I have. Yes. And now that I'm relatively better, I kind of just want to be like, how can we then funnel this money back into – yeah. In, in, into people's lives who actually really need it. Yeah. And that's the thing because anxiety and depression, they're very like neat, uh, you know, they're attractive. Easy. Yeah. You know, there's who some. Who doesn't have anxiety in exactly. the 21st century? You exactly. Know, the rates of anxiety have increased exponentially over the past few decades because we are, our bodies are not set up to receive 100 text messages a day. No. And, to, and by our bodies, I mean, like to comprehend that even. But no wonder people are getting all these anxiety because you're supposed to be 24-7 available to your boss, to your friends, to your family, to having this knowledge of what's happening with celebrities and what's happening with politics and being being so around everything that that is such a different, different thing than even, you know, 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and so rates of anxiety have gone up so much. There's that quote of like, it's actually like a measure of madness to be um, well in a profoundly sick society. Yeah. You know, like, of course, more people are having mental health issues because we have this, like, overbearing nature of society now Mm. that it's not always just a chemical imbalance. It's not always, like, you know, I grew up in poverty and so I've seen, like, all of my family, all of my friends have had mental illness issues and not just, like, issues, like, being put in mental ward kind of things Mm. um and it's so hard to deal with like even as i said before i had agoraphobia but that meant that i couldn't access centrelink so for a year we were living off my mom's disability support pension Mm. and like that made me feel like shit you know like it made it even worse because we were already living under the poverty line and then it was this added extra that you know moms they just come through don't they but Your yeah. mom is. She would do anything, whatever. She is a saint. Whatever would need to be done, she would get it done. And that's also what, you know, I'm her full time carer at the moment. And it's interesting because people see carers as like these like strong forces that are like, and people are like, wow, you do that for your mom. And I'm like, are you joking? Like, my mom is still caring for me. She could be in the hospital and she is still sitting there caring for me. All she's thinking about are her kids. And I know that I have that support there at all. And like, these concepts of what care is and like I still have severe mental illness but I'm still my mom's full-time carer you know what I mean and like what people can achieve with mental illness is very much misunderstood yes I think yeah especially with those I guess heavier mental illnesses like psychosis schizophrenia yeah bipolar disorder hmm. kind of stuff those people are successful people but it's these like even when I was young I would be like oh the weather's so bipolar and it's oh, just those yeah. offhand things but you're like when you think of back on it you're like Oh, that was shit to say. God, like, was stupid. Yeah. yeah. It's like when people say, I'm so OCD, and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, you know, when it's I was my- seven, I diagnosed myself with OCD, and I went to my doctors, and he said, oh, yes, you do have that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's beneficial, though. Uh, Since I was yeah. little, I, you know, we did a lot of therapy. My <laughs> parents were in NA and AA, mm. um, so we were in a lot of – you would sit around listening to group therapy sessions, you know, my – brother and my sister were misdiagnosed with ADD and ADHD. turns out they're on the autism spectrum. So we saw a lot of like therapists, a lot of Mm. family therapists. So when people are like to me, oh, wow, so you really went and saw a therapist? I'm like, bitch, I have been there for the past 20 years. Like I could explain to you like every single aspect of therapy. But now I've just gotten to the point where I'm telling people like, you are not born with the tools to deal with anything, whether you have a mental illness or not. You know, even normal things that happen in life, like a parent dying, somebody breaking up with you, like people actually 
don't have the ingrained tools to cope. Mm. It's not just about having a mental illness and using, you know, so you need to go to a therapist and deal with that. It's actually like I think everybody would benefit from it. Yeah. Like, as I said, I'm doing a master's in social work and until I went and saw this therapist and I had to say to her, you need to be very strict with me because I... I run shit like, <laughs> and if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. So, and I definitely don't want to get the bus without my phone, bitch. So, yeah, you know, she was, and she, it was great because I went in and I said, this is what I need from you. And mm. she said, perfect, let's do it. And we did it. And yeah, I'm not like, you know, I still have issues I need to work through, but that was so helpful. And even me as somebody who has been to therapy since I was five, um, it took me, what, seven, eight years from my agoraphobia to actually going, okay, I'm going to do exposure mm. therapy. Um, and that that was really hard for me. And now I've done it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I full did that. I forgot. Like, it was only earlier this year. I know. And I'm, like, living my life thinking I'm, like, being like this for ages. I'm like, oh, I need to remember and, like, give yes. myself props. Like, But when you get to a good point, it's very yeah. easy to yes. forget the bad shit. It's so easy. It's like you kind of – you have to compartmentalize it. You kind of just like, okay, I'm just going to put that away. Literally. That's happened because I'm having a great time now. And because with the whole, like, actual breakdown, like, I couldn't – eat I couldn't like stand up without my whole body shaking I would throw I didn't brush my teeth for like a year because I would throw up every time my teeth are really bad now I'm still dealing with the consequences of that it was really really rough and even me to this day I'll be like oh yeah I didn't leave my house for a year but when I actually think about it I'm like I was terrified 24 7 year I was I would wake up just going when can I go back to sleep again but when I went to sleep, I would have panic attack dreams yeah, for a year. And then so, you'd wake up So you wake night. up yeah. through the night having a panic attack. And it's like, I can't, I can't get away from this. Like there was you, – now I'm like, you know, go to sleep. It's, it's, that's my time. Like I can't wait to go to sleep, whatever. And at the time I was like, how can I stop this? Okay, I'll just knock myself out. i just stop. But then I would just have panic attack dreams and wake up freaking out. And so when I think back on it, I'm like, it was horrible. It was really, really – the worst thing I've ever experienced and especially because I'm very much like to be in control and that really messed with that Mm. that like concept of not being able to control my body or control my feelings or things like that Mm. and as I said I'm not gen like I don't have social anxiety so it was really confusing to me as well where I was like why is this happening why 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 do I feel like and this and I feel like for people who knew you yeah. or know you would probably be very confusing as well because you don't present that not way at either all. not you're at all very confident and you're very like outgoing and I would yeah. say extroverted yeah but then when you have this other part of you people just like find it so confusing yeah. because you're not portraying that no, outwardly not at all. and i don't have an issue with i've never had an issue with talking about mental health or anything like that um and it's not that i'm like not trying to portray it outwardly but it doesn't come across that way because as i said i am confident and i am socially i don't have the, those issues <laughs> Just those. I don't have those ones. I have everything else. That's fine. Um, And so it was really strange. It was really strange. And people would be like, but Drew, like, you know, my nana would call me and be like, Drew, but like, you're really out there. Like, you always just say what you think that as it was like, no, no, I'll still just say what I think. But what I think right now is I feel like fucking shit. Yeah. Like, that was it. That's all I had to give for like a year. And I was so, by the end of it, I was really, really jaded that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Yes. Like, it just got to the point where I was like, why can't I be going to this protest? Why can't I show that I want to, you know, learn about this? Or, like, there's only so much you can do on the internet. And you know what? Thank fuck for the fucking internet. I would have, yeah. Literally. Like, Were you on forums, like, every day? Forums every day. Um, You know, I I spent a lot of time. That's when I really learned all about astrology. <laughs> I spent so like, and I was like, I don't even know if it's real, but I'm going to get an encyclopedic knowledge of this. Why the fuck not? Yeah. So I, I got really well informed, but had no, nobody to talk to about it because <laughs> I couldn't talk to anyone. Even if people came to my house to visit, I would freak the fuck out. Even for like a month, I didn't see Ollie when I first had the initial breakdown. My boyfriend of like, you know, now it's, it's nearly 10, 10 years, years now. Yeah. So back then it would have been something at least like a year two years or something but I was just like I can't I can't see anyone the only person I could see was my mom Mm. and even then very limited brief conversations where she was just really tending to me like coming into my bed being like you know sip water kind of thing like it was really intense um 
And I forget, like, as you said, once you feel a bit better, you kind of forget about that mm. and you forget, like, the literal, like, days of sitting there going, I can't wait till this ends. It's never going to end. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, yes. And I understand why some some people don't ever stop being agoraphobic. And I definitely wouldn't have unless I my dad, you know, had private health insurance that I was still able to come under. Not anymore. Thanks, dad. <laughs> um, so that was really beneficial so that I could call up that private mental health ward and say can I come in please help me yeah please help me um it was a classic though the day I got there I was sobbing for four hours straight you know mum had just gone home Ollie had come to sit with me sobbing 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 this girl comes up to me she's like excuse me sorry to interrupt I'm like yep you know about to have a panic attack she's like um I'd just like to invite you um to the lounge room I'll be doing a slam poetry reading for the ward (laughs) (laughs) if you'd like to come and I'm literally sitting there sobbing. Ollie's holding me, and I was like, "Maybe next time, thank you." Oh, you know, I read the room. Yeah, I was just like, you know, that was really nice of her oh. to invite me, but that was, but at least that cracked me up. So I was like, you that's know, a very, whatever. That's, that's that's great. But I only stayed there that one night because, as I am the person I am, I went. I fucking did that. I left the house. I'm going home. I'm doing this by myself because they said, you know, they did this huge assessment and they said, do you do, you do any drugs? I said, no, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Oh, I smoke weed. I always forget. Um, and then because I smoked weed to get to sleep, they gave me a tranquilizer, a Valium and another sleeping pill. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, I don't want, I don't want to swap my panic disorder for this amount of meds. I had already had a issue with like addiction for sleeping pills when I was younger, that kind of stuff. And they were like, well, this is the only way we do it here. And so I took that. And then in the morning I woke up and I said, I'm going the fuck home. And they were very concerned, but I went home and then I just started leaving the house bit by bit because I had done it. Like in my head, I was like, the switch had flicked. And not to say that I wasn't going out, throwing up, whatever, but I was like, I got really good at throwing up in public. Like, I do not care anymore. Like, I'll just be walking and be like, okay, it's on, throw up, overheat, sweat all over everything, keep going. Um, But it took me a while to get there uh, and still keep going. But, yeah, I think that I was lucky that my dad had that private health insurance Mm. because getting into a mental health ward is one of the most difficult things I've ever tried to help my friends do. Um, we're just not funded for it. No. So that's really disappointing aspect when you're in a crisis situation and there's nothing that anyone can do for like two yeah. weeks, you know? Yeah. That's not enough when somebody's trying to kill themselves. Um, yeah, you literally have to be, yeah. You, you know what? I took a friend and I said, like, she was she was in it and I said to her, I need you when we go in there to say yes you're going to kill yourself and yes you have a plan i don't care if you're embarrassed i don't care mm. if you feel like a fucking idiot saying that because you need to be 100 percent truthful and that's the only way like and the only way that i know that is because i do social work and because i've had a bunch of friends that have really had to access though hospitals because there's no mental health services mm. that are available and that's the only reason i know that that you have to say that those two things i'm going to kill myself and i have a plan and even then, it's like sometimes they're like, look, we don't have any beds and you just have to go home. And that's putting a lot of pressure on friends and family, I think. Yes. And that's with that whole like, are you okay there? Yes. Thing. Yes. See, so like, yeah. And, and then that comes back to, yeah, go outside for a walk, which yeah. friends mean well. They do. We are, I, this is something I've, I always say to people, and that is like, we can be, especially people like us who've experienced mental health conditions, that kind of thing. We can be uh, empathetic and we can be supportive, but we are in no way mental health professionals. No, no. And there is – I can tell you that you're safe and I can tell you that you're Mm -hmm. okay and that you're loved, but nothing I'm doing is actually making you want to stay here. And that's the whole thing about I think everyone needs to learn tools and everybody also needs to be – have their mental illness situated in what's going on. I had no concept of – panic disorders Mm. when I went to that mental health ward this psych sat me down and he goes your body's constantly in fight or flight theory it's like there's a lion trying to attack you and you're trying to leave so you feel sick in your stomach because the first thing your body does is shut down any system that isn't necessary to your survival at that second yeah so I was like oh that's why I always throw up and feel sick yep I was like nobody had ever explained that to me after over a year of researching which is absurd though that no doctor you'd ever seen no had been able to explain it that way let alone 
And that it just clicked for me because mine was so physical, a physical response. It wasn't such a mental response that mm. that made all the difference to me. So then he said, so he taught me breathing techniques. And so juxtapos- juxtaposing breathing techniques to calming down your body in a fight or flight adrenaline mode compared to just take a breath. That really made such a difference because saying just take a breath doesn't explain to me why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And there's no evidence behind that. Like there is, but nobody knows what it is. When you explain it to me in the fact that your body is producing too much adrenaline because it thinks that you're actually under attack by a lion and if you breathe really slowly in and out like everything's normal, you're tricking your body back into thinking Mm -hmm. everything's fine. That changed my life. Literally. And all they had to do was explain it like that and situate my mental illness and my mental health issues in what was physically happening to me. And that changed everything. And I was like, you know, and then so I was like, okay, thank you for the breathing techniques. I'm out after 24 hours. And they were like, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I got this. Dude, no, I know a few people who've gone in for like one night and they've just been like, also just because the whole thing is very confronting. Oh, it's a lot, especially if you're not used to that kind of environment. And then they leave and they're like, okay, I'm just going to do this myself. And sometimes you just, you do need that kind of night. Yeah. I don't know. Well, mine was very much like I had to break the cycle of literally not leaving my house or room, Um, which luckily I was able to. And, you know. The whole, like, even the concept of, like, like, I definitely didn't do it by myself. I, Mm. the only way I did everything was with the support of friends and family and, like, having these lengthy ass discussions Um, and then realizing, like, it is what it is as well. Like, I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. And I was like, you know what? I have my whole future Mm. to go and be the feminist I want to be and go and be, like, I'm restricted by what I am doing now, but that doesn't mean those restrictions are going to last for life. And also I think that people get really upset about – I have a lot of friends that are like, you know, what if I fail this class at uni? And so when I went back to uni, there was a real juxtaposition. They go, what if I fail this class? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, you fail them. We'll just do it again. Yes. And they would be like so upset. And I was like, that's the worst thing that can happen. Like, you know what I mean? And And they were like, yeah, it is the worst thing that could happen. And I was like, no, I just mean it as in, like, it's not that bad. Yeah. Like, you know, if and they were like, but then it will be a semester behind in finishing uni. And I was like, I'm like, what, like 25 finished my undergrad. That took a few more years than it needed to. Um, I wasn't 25, actually. I'm 26 now and I'm nearly finished my master's. It doesn't matter. As I said, time. What is time? It's it's a concept. I've heard of it. Mm. Um But, yeah, so people have this really – even though people aren't in that whole, like, get married, have a baby, like, have a full-time career in their head anymore, I still think people are really attached to the idea of their life course being a certain way. So um, it might not be marriage, but it's finishing school at this time and doing it in this perfect order and doing things that you – Like, for example, I did both my social work placements and then I took a year off to be my mom's carer. And a lot of people were like, oh, but that's going to like have a gap in your resume history. And I said, look, I'll have like several gaps. I don't give a shit. Like whatever my mom needs to stay alive, that's what's relevant to Mm -hmm. me. Not to say that other people's, you know, hopes and dreams and what they want to aspire to aren't important. They're all important. But I think people don't give themselves that that slack of going life is not linear yeah like it's ups and downs and same with mental health and same with physical health nothing is going to be on the up forever Mm. and I think like you know some days I'll wake up and I'm anxious as shit like I will be like oh my god like I just need to stay home today I need to stay home today and you know sometimes that's okay and then sometimes I wake up I'm like I'm really anxious like you know I'll just take the dog for a walk at least so I can get out a bit Mm. and like that's fine that's fine I'm not always going to be up I'm not always going to be happy that's all right. Like, I don't think I need to up my dose of meds or, you know, people have feelings because we're supposed to, like, it's a, there's a reason we have feelings. Yes. You've got to like learn to distinguish like what is part of your mental illness and what is just like being a person. Yeah, exactly. Because being a person is not that um, simple. No, it's fucking hard. And I think emotions that people attach to certain things, like, you know, even figuring out if you have depression is quite difficult because I think, you know, when when you're a teenager, you get a bit angsty sometimes. Oh God, yeah, let's go for a second. Yes. Um, 
And then it's like, you know, is that depression or am I just hormonal? Is that? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily have to have a name. Like some people deal much better with just being like, I feel sad sometimes. And some people really need that diagnosis and that yeah, med- and that's label. fine. It mm. doesn't matter. Like it's just about whatever's right for you. And I think that people get really, really worried about, I'm always shocked when people are like surprised that I've like, I'll just sit talking about like having a panic attack or going to see a therapist or whatever. And I was like, like, I'm surprised. And then I forget that not everybody is like my um, eclectic family. Well, no, but even like, I'm the same, like, I'll be like, oh, fuck, I just remembered I haven't taken my antidepressant and people are like. Oh, okay. This is something we're talking about openly now? Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. is. It's so, that's like who I am. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I'm not, I've never been embarrassed. Have you seen some people? Some people are horrible people. They should be embarrassed. Mm. Like, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a nice person. I'm going to talk about my meds in front of you. And it's like, if it helps someone else, like, I really, I'm number one therapy fan. Like, 100%. I'm number one therapy fan. And not all therapists are great. And I think that's the downfall because somebody will go, no, I went to one one time and they did this. And you're like, fuck that person for ruining it for you. Like I get so aggressive because I'm like, they shouldn't have treated you that way and you deserve better. So let's try and find. Like I just think that everybody not necessarily needs like professional help. But as I said, like we're not born with the tools to understand i was born with mental illnesses and stuff like that or i've developed them but i don't know how to cope with necessarily like you know becoming my mom's carer was a big transition Mm. i need tools to cope with that and it was really easy therapists if you just go and ask them for what you need they kill it they're like oh okay like there's a specific task they love that shit yes they love it and i think that's the only benefit of the um Medicare sessions is yeah. uh, when you're not severely mentally ill, they can be really helpful if you just want some ways to deal with certain things or, you know, if you have really difficult conversations with friends and you don't know how to respond or you don't know how to put up boundaries. They're great things to go and see yeah. a therapist over or just say, you know, I want to be more open with people. How do I do that? Mm. They're great things to get some specific practical measures on yeah i encourage anyone who's like you know had like a a death in the family has experienced a trauma gone through a breakup like you can go to talk to your doctor about getting a mental health plan as long as you kind of fit in a few of those yeah and to be honest anyone we know is going to fit into one of those boxes and just lie literally but yeah exactly everybody can feel a little bit sad a little bit anxious a little bit defeated and there's no problem with getting help for that like you can be okay but not perfect and want to deal with that or like yeah. not that anybody's ever perfect don't try to be perfect uh but, but I just think that there's this like because I don't know I know people bring up the idea of stigma and I'm like you know what fuck stigma I don't care about the are you okay campaign we need policy we need money in this blah 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 Funding. and then I think mm. back on it and I'm like I forget like about these conversations I have with people that are really confident like 26 year old like professionals and they're like so when you go to therapy what do they talk about and what do they do and I'm like Really? Like, wow, okay, so there is this stigma. and But I think that because I was raised in a family where we were all going through it at one one stage or another at every stage of our life, Mm. um, that I did have that opportunity to really become an empathetic person. Yep. um, Which I'm very grateful for. So, yes, we had a lot of, as my family put it as a joke, character building (laughs) uh, moments. But... It's true. I'm very much a character now um, and I feel like it's made me much more empathetic to helping other people realise like it's not like I'm a sick bitch and people know that and then they're like, oh, but you went to therapy. How does that compute? And I'm like, because I'm a sick bitch. Yeah. I went to therapy. I look after myself and I get myself. And that's the thing though. We're also in kind of a bubble in the sense that – yeah. A lot of the people that we know and that we're friends with are very open. Yes. Uh, like natural advocates. Yeah. Natural, like quite left wing, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think a lot of people that aren't in our bubble yeah. do have those issues and speaking I think, about it. You know, we talk about young people as well a lot, but what about our aging population? Yeah. We have one of the loneliest aging populations in the world. Um, of course, 
we have high rates of suicide in the old community. We have high rates of suicide in 10-year-old Aboriginal kids. We have It's not just this like Sydney bubble of people that have gone to, you know, uni that understand anxiety and depression. It's actual people that, you know, are kind of like my neighbours and stuff like that, like in housing department where you don't even have the time to go see a therapist. You don't have the bus fare to go see a therapist. Like I'm very lucky again when I say my mum will do anything mm. to get me what I need. Like, and she's always been like that, but not everybody is as resourceful and not everybody can do that. And that's what kills me. Like I, especially the high rates of, you know, male suicide rates because there's this idea that if you talk about your emotions, it's not masculine yeah, or, you you're know. you're a pussy. But also mm. I think that they don't know how to talk about their emotions. Because they haven't been taught because how to. they've been taught to hide them and to, you know, just be like, no, nah, it's okay, bro. No, I'm all right. Mm. And it's like even if, you know, they say, no, nah, I'm sad, a lot of people, again, don't have the skills which nobody is born with, to be a therapist to their friend, to stop them from killing themselves, to, yes, you can offer your, as you said, you can say that you're safe, you're loved, but at the end of the day, we're not mental health, you know, professional. Yeah. I'll be a social worker, but even then I'm not a mental health professional. I still fuck up about mm. things with myself, let alone other people. Yeah, and you shouldn't be the person who is that for your friends, yeah. especially because that's a different relationship. Exactly, and it's and it's very different from exactly. You being I'm like always going to offer them whatever help I can. Yeah, always. But I think that you know, I can't sit there and talk about internalized like sexism of males to my male friends because <laughs> like they're like, okay, but I feel sad. Like, and yeah. people don't know. It, like I have a very good emotional intelligence again because I have been to therapy and I've learnt these words for what my feelings are and stuff like that. But it must like I couldn't imagine being agoraphobic and not knowing not knowing what I knew from my past because that would have been it was a shock to me nonetheless, but it would have been life destroying. Yeah. Like I would never would have come back from that. Hmm. But I knew at least what a little bit, a little bit of what was happening and why. Um and that what was what like kept me alive. Like it didn't keep me healthy or sane, but I knew at least a tiny bit. And I, I think that's so sad that we have such high rates of suicide for obvious cohorts. And there's evidence, you know. Mm. And our government doesn't give a shit on how to fix it. It's, and so yeah, I think again, it's all holistic. Like the whole idea of binaries of mental health and physical. Health, it's all just your health. Yeah, I. I And I think that until it's approached like that, we're going to have increasing rates of mental illness and stuff like that, especially, as I said, we've got a lot more. We're getting a lot more messages. We have our phones on 24-7. We have all these shows to watch. We have all these things to read. We have everything to stay up to date on. Mm. And then when you do stay up to date, you're like, oh, those in power are really horrible and are killing people. That's depressing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's a fine line as well between coming to that idea of like, I've been both. I've been depressed because of the state of, you know, my lived reality, I guess, and also the fact of the world. Not I'm trying to be more positive about this. I'm not going to say the world's demise, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that things are going, um, that... It's hard to distinguish as well the difference. Like, is this my mental illness or am I sad because it's genuinely sad right now? The life, like living is sad. Um, But now I've become, I read about um, active hope. So I'm trying to be an active hope advocate instead of, yeah. So it's, you know, it was pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. So I am a bit pessimist when I hear certain people say certain things. For example, medication will fix everything or going outside will fix everything. No, I think it should be holistic and everything should go together. And I'm optimistic that one day we will get there. So that's my optimism of the will that keeps me going every day, you know, like to be an advocate and to work on these issues that can be really upsetting and really tiring, like domestic violence, prison, like deaths in custody, stuff like that. It's depressing, but at I also feel a lot of hope in those spaces and that's helped with my mental health 
a lot mm. um, and just meeting other people that are, you know, you, you, you're doing this just because you care. Like, yeah. And that's, that is so, you know, encouraging and inspiring, not in the sense of like, I'm inspired, I'm going to go do a podcast because honestly, Maddie, I've never listened to a podcast <laughs> before. Today I listened to one of yours earlier <laughs> just to see what they are because I'm, I said to mom, she goes, so you listen to our podcast? I said, no, I listened to a little bit today, but I hate listening to people talk, mom. <laughs> And she said, oh, you're fucked. Um, so, yes. Uh, and that's fine. You don't need to make one. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think that's my calling. You can but do whatever the fuck you exactly. want. Exactly. But I think it's evolved. just, it's inspiring in the sense of like, my girl is out there doing it, like, she, and doing it for others, for this idea that, like, with me, I'm like, oh, stigma, fuck, I can't be bothered with that. Like, you know, and then I think about it, I'm like, that's the groundwork that needs to be done. Um, and so I'm very proud of you in oh, that regard. You. And especially because you and I have come so far. Oh, we have. We've come so far. We've come so far. I literally was thinking the other day, like, actually a few months ago, I was in, like, Woolworths, like, doing shopping. Yes. And I just, like, had this, like, fucking grin on my face because I was like, I'm just walking around Honestly, shopping. I'm sending pictures to my group chat, like, bitches, I'm on the fucking bus. Have you seen me lately? Oh, my God. And, like, yes, I mean, obviously... I was lucky in the sense that medication worked really well for me. Yeah. And I. That was amazing. I've progressed maybe a little bit quicker than others. Yeah. But at the same time, there are still there are still occasions where I literally will just be in the grocery store and be like, this is amazing. Honestly. Like, I am so lucky. And it is. Yeah. And I think also, like, now that I'm not in the throes of it, as you said, you can kind of see some, and with my active hope outlook, mm. um, you can kind of see some benefits of, yeah, we went through that shit, shit time. Um, and not that anybody should have to go through a shit time to be yes. the person they are. I don't think that people's... Oh, that's my alarm to take my pill and don't get pregnant. Snooze. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, take your reproductive health seriously. It's very serious, guys. People. Thank you. Um, men and women and non-binary, you're all responsible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so mm-hmm. I don't know what I was saying. We- <laughs> <laughs> We're basically saying that it's shit that we have to go oh, through yes. these things, but, yes, but they are so... I hate the word character building. Yeah, I honestly, I hate it too. But, it, but it's like, it just. I think it just makes you a, a I more think, empathetic person. Yes. That's how I like I'm to A much more it. empathetic person and the fact that we can see the joy in the little things like being in Woolworths and shopping yeah. and like you know I can also see the downfall in capitalism neoliberalism and marketization of Woolworths <laughs> and you know they're but I'm in Woolworths and I'm buying my chocolate myself yes you know and that's crazy because I had to rely on my mom and my sister at the time to literally go get me everything food coffee like I everything. nothing nothing yeah. clothes anything I literally was sitting in my room waiting so that that whole thing of being like I'm outside in Woolworths is to other people. <laughs> no, they're like uh-huh. they're like they're like okay, you want to step aside, lady. <laughs> but like you know, you just sometimes I have to be like, hey, I'm here, and then my mom's like, yeah, you're here, and I yes. like, yep, you did that. I'm like, oh, thanks. And how like, special is that? Yeah, like it's, it's something I think that allows you to look at the world a little bit differently. Yeah, and I'm not saying that we're better off no (laughs) no in any way shape or form but it's just it's a different kind of worldview that I think a lot of people don't have yeah and I think if anything it makes us better advocates for sure it makes us better I don't know like nurturers and we're just kinder for it yeah and I think that you know some people are kind and completely I don't want to say normal but you know they don't have these issues they don't have um they don't ever go through it and that's they're still kind and gentle and empathetic people. I just think that from myself, it did make me a more empathetic person. And I, again, as I said, mental illness is literally just like one of my issues. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm just a podcast about um, chronic illness. <laughs> yeah, I got one of those. And too. then we can have you back. Um, yeah. So it's just like there's combinations of things that have made me a very resilient person that I'm very grateful for. Um, and I think I'm allowed to be grateful for it. Um, I've allowed myself to be grateful for it um, because otherwise I would just be jaded. You know, I missed mm. a year of my life. I did this and that. And instead I go, I read a fuckload of books. I watched a lot of stuff and I read and learned a lot of things and including how to 
do breathing techniques. Yeah. Like, and I've taught like so many people those breathing techniques, so many people who have panic attacks. And like, again, they're always like, wow, this is so easy. And I said, fight or flight theory, baby. Like, you know, and yeah, that's not going to work for people with social anxiety as mm. much, but it's one tactic. And I think, mm. again, we just need to really realize that there's not one thing that's going to fix everything. Like you said, your medication worked really well in you. And yeah, it did. But you also had a great psych and you mm. had, you know, your supportive family and, you know, you figured out that you were couldn't eat. I'm so sorry you couldn't eat gluten. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I think about that all the time. But, you know, like you found out all these yeah. different aspects and worked on – they, like, worked to make you a healthier, better person. Yeah. But I think the most important aspect is the fact that you work to make yourself a healthier mm-hmm. and happier person. Mm-hmm. And it's not – I don't mean, like, you're the only one that can do it and if no. you don't do it, you're, you know, you're a piece of shit who deserves your mental illness because that's kind of the vibe that people put out of it. I fucking hate that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and my God. Like, I I mean, yes, I have to be present for it. Of course. Yes, I'm get there. Better. I get I'm it. I'm there. But, yeah, so it's I It's in think- your own time. It's That's the thing I think – when people like people don't won't accept help until they're ready i'm like i fucking hate that but in a way i i get it in the sense that a person needs to be ready for that step because that's a that's a big deal exactly and it's not like for me it was literally a physical step like out of my house and you would think that that shit is simple and it's not but it's made me be able to i think offer support without I used to always be like, I can fix this for you. Mm. I can fix this. And now I realize sometimes I can't fix it for my friends, but all I can do is be there for them and literally support whatever choices they make. And when they want to make that choice to really go for it or, you know, go to the psych ward, go to a psych, mm. like I'm I'm there and they know that they can hit me up and I'm there whenever. Yeah, it's almost like I don't know if gatekeeper is the right word, but it's like it's just you can be this person who – helps them through this like really, really shitty kind of doorway into yes. the other side. Um, and it's just being like the facilitator. Yeah. I guess it's like being a facilitator. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy to be that person for mm. people, like whether they're my friend or not, honestly, mm. I don't care. If you're my enemy, like I still think that you deserve like a house, food, water, you know, education. Like yeah. that's my vibe. Um, so – I think that this idea as well, people will be like, check in on your friends. And it's like, make sure you're not like just checking in on the people. Like you and I, we che- we would be checking in on people who already know what we're talking about mm. and this and that. But I think like, for example, I'll stop in at my neighbors now and just be like, hey, are you okay today? Because I live in an over 55s complex. A lot of them are lonely as, and mm. that makes their mental health horrible. Just having a conversation with them changes a lot of things. So, again, it's not just, like, medication or whatever. It's social interactions. It's, Mm. you know, putting yourself out there. And I don't think – not to say that everyone with mental illness should be going out there and starting chats with people because people approach it in different ways. You Mm. and I are very public and very open. Um, Some people aren't, and that's completely fine as well. Yes, you do not need to feel like you need to be – chatting about this no. unless you're 100% confident with doing so yeah. but I think as long as you're able to be open with your very close-knit community and yourself I think and yourself, yourself that's fine yeah because I think that you know some some people often feel it's like when people talk about like sex positivity and it's like that doesn't mean you just talk about come 24 7 yeah you know it's about being like I'm open to talking about mental illness or you know in case of sex positivity sex but also the fact that some people aren't open to that and there are reasons for that yeah and we need to break down those barriers not have a go at those people to say you're stigmatizing mental illness because you won't even be honest with yourself. You know what I mean? 100%. There are so many different discourses on mental illness that literally just stop people from even acknowledging in themselves that they could do with some help. Yes. And, yeah, again, I'm trying not to say, like, mental illness so much because, again, it's just health. Yeah. Like, it's it's just all your body. No, I get that. And I think moving forward, like, especially when we're looking at using Are Are You Okay Day as an example, Mm. and the fact that that's the sentiment behind it obviously is is good. It's a a positive thing. But I think we need to find a balance between doing the small stuff, like having the conversations and and talking about the really difficult things, but then also being like, where's the money? Yes. Like, if we don't, if there's no money, this is all Where's the money? Where's the policy? You know, those Medicare um, rebated sessions used to be 
10 to 20 sessions. Yeah, they're now they're six like now. six and you can get four more. Four if, more if you ask if really you're still bad. Going. And that's the thing. If you, for example, find a psychologist that you don't like, you've mm-hmm. wasted a whole you've session on them. You don't and get you've to got like five start left. again. No. That's the thing. It's like the, the, the system is, is so rigid yeah. and it only supports a very particular kind yeah. of unwell person. I went to the, one of those ones <laughs> back in the day and after my first session she was crying and she said wow you've been through so much see that's not fucking helping no you. not at what all and I was, I was like babe like babe. are you okay <laughs> baby you okay do you want do you need to go to therapy I think you need some therapy yeah. if you're crying at and your I was just kind of like oh god it was just kind of like insane. you know I I'm very well aware of that kind of stuff and it was fine but I obviously didn't go back to her but it's just like if one of my friends who were so resistant to getting help and they went and saw someone like that they would never go back. Yeah, done. Yeah, my my first uh, psychologist uh, got my got me confused with another patient. Oh, how embarrassing! And so I was like, "Well, I'm done with you." Yeah, but because I am persistent, yes, to a fault, I was like, "Cool, next one, babe." Not a fault. Look at you. Oh, thank you, um, Drew. We're nearly out of time. Yes, because we should. <laughs> should have made this a two hour episode. <laughs> um, before we go, I guess. No one on this show yet has um, had a background with uh, an experience with um, agoraphobia. Oh, yeah. And I just want to know, like, what you would say to someone who was in the throes of it. So I think that if if it was similar to mine, mm. one, just that you're not the only person that has experienced this in the way you're experiencing it. Two, you're doing the best possible. Like, if you're upset with yourself now – it's not helpful. Like, be upset for sure. Um, and, again, these are things that I wish I did. <laughs> I was very upset with myself for a long time. Mm. And I think that, again, prioritise that you will get to a point where enough is enough, I think. And the fact that reach out because you are entitled to support and help and if your GP won't come do a house visit, get a different GP. Get a social worker. Get somebody who is going to support you. And, yes, family and friends are great, but I think that now that I'm doing social work, I wish I had a social worker back then. I, yeah. That would have changed my life and made things easier. You don't need anyone there telling you, just get out of the house. Just go. Just go do this and that and that. Like, I turned off my phone for a week. I didn't... Do whatever you need to do to get through the day. But when you feel up to it, start thinking about really, really slowly the future. And again, it's been eight years since I had agoraphobia and only this year did I do my exposure therapy, which is the therapy you're supposed to do for agoraphobia. So really like take your time and do what works best for you. Do it. And try something and, you know, if it fails, again, it's not linear. You haven't fucked your whole, you know, healing process. You just learnt a new aspect Mm. from that experience. And I think that people forget that as well, that, you know, if you have one step back, that doesn't mean you're going back forever. Just keep going forward again and you'll eventually get there. So, and I think that's hard as well to accept that it's going to be slow but Mm. once you've accepted that you're doing it at your pace and that pace is the pace now it's much better and you can be much happier um with your small accomplishments and that's how you get to bigger accomplishments before you even realize it you're getting the train out to Parramatta fuck yeah what were you doing in Parramatta (laughs) uh exposure therapy I had to go somewhere where I really don't want to go um and I've never been to Parramatta and I had to get a train and I had to not take my phone or water or bag and just take my wallet and I did it and it was the big like I got into Parramatta station did a massive pivot (laughs) and just came back I did not do anything at Parramatta I was like I did that get back on the train go home (laughs) I'm so proud of you (laughs) Oh, Drew, thank you so much. You're welcome. I love you. I love you too. Bye-bye. Bye. See, what did I tell you? She's just the most passionate, engaging, like, so as my mum would say, a very staunch woman. She's just fierce. And I think that fierceness and that passion is 
something that really inspires me in my daily life. I think when I see her advocating and campaigning for things that she cares about, it makes me want to do the same, um, which I really like having in my life. I like having someone so positive. I like having someone who inspires me in that way. I feel very lucky to have Drew. If you really enjoyed this episode today and you feel like and you want to chat about it, you can always drop me a line at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm also looking for new people uh, to be on the podcast for season two, which I will start recording um, in December. So if that's something you feel like being a part of, you can also mention that. If you feel like stalking us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram. We are if you don't mind podcast and on Facebook. If you just literally type in, if you don't mind into the search bar, you'll find us. Um, and if you feel like being a, a patron to the podcast, you can find us at Patreon. Um, you just got to type us into the search bar. Uh, you can give $2, $5, $10, whatever you feel, whatever you want. It's purely for those people who can afford it and feel like supporting the pod. So if you do and you can, thank you so much. But you know what? I think for the most part as podcasters and people who are like me and put out content, a lot of us are kind of fixated on numbers and downloads and uh, reviews and things like that. But to be perfectly honest with you, all I want you to do if you really like this podcast is to just share it with a friend because I want this to be a tool. I want this to be something that people can access when they are feeling down and isolated because, as I've said in the past, the reason I created this podcast was for people to hear other stories and to realize that they're not going through it by themselves because as Drew and I discussed in this episode, it can often feel like what you're experiencing is completely and utterly only relevant to you. And it's not the case. Um, so yeah, if you feel like you want to share this podcast with a friend, please do. Uh, as I always say, guys, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another. And if you can listen to someone's story, if you can engage in someone else's story, please do. Because I honestly believe that Sharing stories can sometimes save lives. Bye, guys.